0: cats dating coach for smart strong successful women your personal trainer for love welcome back to the love you podcast where you learn everything you need to know about dating relationships men and sex from a man's point of view and today is a gender neutral thing this is not just about a man's point of view I'm going to drop some science on you we're going to be talking about understanding chemistry how much is enough and I want to begin with a story Uh, I'm a Storyteller first, so uh, you're going to have to sit through the story if you want to get to the statistics. It was 2006. Um, I was already a dating coach doing this for three years plus. Already had two books out. And um, I met a woman at a party who blew me away. Just she was, To me, she was Sophia Loren she was Italian not just Italian American she was Italian and and just naturally sexy and intelligent and sophisticated she was in real estate um, um, but she was also old school Italian she like you know would kill a pig and make her own bacon she, her, her name was Lucia Lucia if you're listening uh, she's still my friend Lucia if you're listening um, uh, I was very dazzled back at the time was, uh, for a few weeks I was completely obsessed with her and a certain point Lucia says to me, it's two, three dates in, you Americans, you don't you know, you, you don't know how to make a girl feel special. Right? Evidently I was playing it too cool, right? Because Italian guys just lay it on thick. My love, I will serenade you and I was just just being American, like, hey, you know when you wanna hang out. <laughs> so she, she got rid of me. She, I didn't I didn't I didn't come on strong enough for her. And she said, But we could still be friends. Um, but I was so attracted to her, and thought, what, what choice did I have but to accept it? So she invites me to a party at her house. Um, and she lived in this house. It was unusual. Like, it, was, it was like the real world, uh, you know, yuppie edition or something like that. It was five people in their early to mid 30s who couldn't afford a mansion who were, but were renting one out. So they each put in like $2,000 a month for like a $10,000 gorgeous house in the Hollywood Hills and they'd have amazing parties, right? but everybody was just renting. So I get invited to this party. It's a potluck dinner on a Sunday night. And um, Lucia um, is there, and I, I have one goal for the night. Ignore Lucia. <laughs> like, I'm going to her party, and I'm not going to talk to her because uh, some s- stupid pride make her jealous. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. So I didn't have, you know, I knew some people there, and I'd been to a few of these parties before, so I had some friends there, and one, actually, one of my closest ex-girlfriends was there, it's a small world, and um, I was standing by, like, the food table with potluck mac and cheese or something, and I started talking to two 37-year-old divorcees, and I wasn't hitting on them, I was just talking to them, because they were there, and I was friendly, and Lucia comes over, hey, you, Evan, you want to come outside and have a drink and a smoke? A, I don't smoke. B, no, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm talking to these women here. Thanks. And so I just talked to them um, all night. Um, not hitting on them, not wildly attracted, not thinking of the future, just fun, easy conversation. One of those women became my wife. And I use that as a starting-off point for this conversation, because chemistry is such a powerful force, and I'll explain scientifically why it's such a powerful force. It's actually chemicals. It's not just a a figure of speech chemistry. It's actually something that's happening in your brain. Um, But how it's not a great predictor of your future. The fact that I had more chemistry with Lucia than with my own wife does not mean that Lucia, if she had taken me, would have been a better fit for me. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, Chemistry often blinds us to people's flaws. So because I came from this place that chemistry is everything, and most people do. I go go to a dating site and you'll see people say, oh, I need to have chemistry. Chemistry is the most important thing in the world. Chemistry, chemistry, chemistry. There is a website created by Match.com called chemistry.com. Um, so when I talk about chemistry, um, in the way that I talk about chemistry, I'm not anti-chemistry by, by any stretch of the imagination. You absolutely, anybody will tell you, you need to have attraction in your relationship. You need to have a good sex life. There's one person you're going to have sex with for the rest of your life. You better enjoy it, right? I'm really just talking about that feeling of blinding excitement and chemistry that starts at, at the very beginning of any relationship with, you know, just uh, first sight, right? what people call love at first sight. Love at first sight is not a great predictor of lasting relationships. But I thought it was. Every time I had a girlfriend, it was someone that I met and, oh, my God, you have to be my girlfriend. And within a week or two, we'd hop into bed, we'd be boyfriend and girlfriend. And never worked, but that was my pattern because chemistry was the most important thing in the world. So the entire time I dated my wife, because I didn't have that feeling, that crazy feeling at the beginning that I was used to having that ever worked, but because I didn't have that feeling, it made me second-guess the entire relationship. Right. Yeah, we had a great sex life, but shouldn't I be more nervous, anxious, butterflies, obsessed, n- miss her more when she's gone, right, like the high highs and the low lows? Shouldn't I be feeling more of that thing? My wife would go on a two-week business trip. and she's my, she's my girlfriend at the time. She'd go on a two-week business trip, and I was fine. I wasn't like, oh, my God, honey, I miss you. I can't live without you. It was just... All right, more chance for me to work, catch up with my friends. There were were, and continue to be uh, women throughout my life that I was uh, more typically attracted to who were more my type. I can tell you what that is, but it's sort of irrelevant. right? But ultimately, what I realized after much uh, introspection and coaching other people is what I was really attracted to were people like me. And just saying it out loud sounds so terribly narcissistic, um, but I think most of us are. We want to date the opposite sex version of ourselves. I remember, um, I've got a, a great camera crew here right now, but once upon a time I had a, a director who would shoot these short videos with me, and she was telling me about her perfect guy. And uh, when I was done, it was like it was very clear she was just describing herself. She wanted a guy who was also a director, and they could make movies together, and they could produce them. And they, it was it was really. I said, you want to date yourself with a dick? That was that was pretty much what she was talking about. And it sounds like I'm ragging on her, but the, the, the truth is um, that's what I was looking for, some female version of me, liberal, culturally Jewish, atheist, intellectual, rel- well-read, Ivy League educated, um, driven, logical, blah, 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 blah. And... It never worked. Right? I dated prolifically from 25 to 35, and I went out with 300 people. Right? People I was most attracted to were the ones who had that certain thing that, that, that I, was, I guess what was called a sapiosexual. I was really turned on by women with big brains, right? fascinated by, by fascinating women. Right? And what I didn't realize, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts, is good always comes with bad. So These women were very analytical, logical, driven, busy, difficult, but most of all critical. I got a lot of, Evan, I love you, but you need to change this, 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 and this, (laughs) which never really made me feel good in a relationship before. And so um, slowly I started to shift and try different things on for size, and uh, I dated a woman who was not the female version of me, and I dated her for eight months in 2006. No, it was 2007. I'm, I might be messing up the dates, but in any case. Uh, yeah, it was, it was before I met my wife. I told I started with the story of how I met my wife. The girlfriend before that was um, was just like my wife. Happy, warm, easygoing, funny, silly, family-oriented. Right? Just just sunshine in a bottle. That was the girlfriend before my wife. The only thing she wasn't was old enough. She was 25. I was 35. I needed more of a woman. And the woman who became my wife was just like my previous girlfriend, just with a little bit more maturity. She was more on on my level. But I got over the idea that chemistry was everything, right? Because again, passion and comfort run in opposition to each other. And what I discovered with my wife was that it was the person I was the most comfortable with out of anybody I'd I'd ever met. So even if we had a, you know, on a one to 10 scale, a seven chemistry, right? Uh, And, you know, uh, we started our relationship like anybody else. We'd have sex every time we saw each other, so we'd have sex three times a week, right? But there was no falling action, Other relationships start up here and they go, oh my God, I actually hate that guy. My wife and I were always like a married couple because that's how easy it was. That's how well we got along. So it would never, in a million years, even if I'm attracted, the first Love You podcast was, Can, can you, should you be more attracted to people other than your partner? And a lot of people think it, the answer is no. And I'm telling you, um, obviously, empirically, you can be more attracted to other people. You just shouldn't have the illusion that, that those people that you're the most attracted to are, are going to be inherently better partners. I wouldn't think that if i left my wife for someone who's younger, thinner, hotter, right, that I'd be happier. What I have is, is, buoys me from the inside. It makes me, it fills me up every day. It makes me so content and joyous to think that I could spend the rest of my life with this one person who gets me, appreciates me, understands me, doesn't criticize me, the mother of my children, makes me laugh, that I would never go chasing something to find someone who's more like me based on that chemistry principle, the thing that we think we need to start any relationship. So that's my personal story. There's the second half of the podcast. I'm gonna give you some facts. Those are, that's my anecdote, but I'm gonna give you some facts about chemistry and tell you how to assess chemistry quickly and ensure that if you're in a relationship, you're not settling for a lack of chemistry, that you're actually going to find a good long-term relationship that has chemistry and is actually one that's built to last. My name is Evan Marc this is the Love Podcast, and we'll be right back. This is Evan Marquette, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women, and your personal trainer for love welcoming you back to the Love You Podcast, where you're going to learn everything you need to know about dating, relationships, sex, and men. Today we're talking about chemistry, continuing the conversation from the first half. Um, I'm going to begin with one anecdote, one more anecdote. i got a lot of anecdotes. Uh, I was set up with someone. Uh, she will remain nameless, um, but it was a setup from a good friend, and she's, she's in, in New York, she's like, you got to meet this woman out in L.A., she's so smart, she's so cool, you know, she's a lawyer, she's a baseball fan, she's a basketball fan, she's got a great sense of humor, like you're going to love her. And I took her out on three dates, and she was everything that was described. She was totally cool, which is why I voluntarily went on three straight dates, dates with her over the course of a week and a half. Problem was, at the end of each date, I didn't want to kiss her. I couldn't figure out why. And I was beating myself up heavily. What's wrong with me that the thought of kissing her is not appealing? And again, this is nothing wrong with her. She's now married with kids. She you know, it's not like she's empirically unattractive, but for whatever reason, I didn't feel it, any sense of chemistry. Right? So it wasn't just on a You know, on a 1 to 10 scale, you know, it was a little bit low. This was, I just, I'm not finding her physically appealing, but her personality was so appealing, I could marry you and be happy. So that's, I want to lead with that to point out the difference between what I'm saying, what people often hear. When I talk about how I don't have a 10 plus plus chemistry with my wife, obsessive, oh my God, you're the most beautiful woman in the world, I can't stop thinking about you. No, I I don't have that, I never had that, she didn't have it for me. We're the happiest couple, you know, but we have a good sex life. We have great personal chemistry, good physical chemistry. We please each other. It's it's all there. That is very different than forcing yourself to be with someone that you are not attracted to. And that is not something that's being advocated here. right. So I don't want you to hear something that I'm not saying because I've been doing this for long enough to know that that's what people react. Oh, you're saying I should just settle there is no settling. Settling means being unhappy. Compromising means being happy. You compromise yourself into a positive choice, you settle into a bad choice. There would be terrible dating advice if I was asking you to do something that was actually distasteful to you. So if you've been in a relationship with no attraction, it's because you chose to be in a relationship with no attraction. My relationship has attraction, but we have incredible compatibility. So to build on that, I want you to have a little cheat sheet. Here's how you assess first date chemistry. This is what I've learned after all the years, and this is a little nugget from Love You. After first date, I want you to assess three things on a very loose 1 to 10 scale. You don't have to write it down, just write up here after a date. Did I have fun? If you didn't have fun, there's no point going on a second date. Was I comfortable? Could I be myself around this person? And was I attracted? Because if Any one of those things is missing, right? Again, if those are above a five or a six on a one to 10 scale, you go back for more. You go back for a second date, you see what happens. But if any of them are below, if you're completely not attracted, oh my God, I'd have to drink 17 beers to kiss this guy. If you're completely uncomfortable, like this guy's kind of creepy, or I was really nervous, what's the point? And if you didn't have fun, well, again, who cares if you were attracted to him if the night itself wasn't fun and you weren't comfortable? So attraction comes... Fun, comfort are the things that you're looking for on a first date, and if you have that, then you say yes to a second date. If you have it on a second date, you go on a third date. You don't have to figure out your entire future. So these are all sort of components of chemistry and good guidelines for what you should be looking for when you're on a date. Because a big question I get from women is, how do I know if I should give a guy a chance? You don't need to go on any mercy dates. It was never a question as to whether I was attracted to my, my wife, it's that I was never obsessed with her like I was with previous girlfriends. Uh, and I thought that was weird, and I thought that was unhealthy. And it turns out it's the healthiest thing because you're seeing the person really clearly. So I want to cite a couple of scientists, people who are smarter than I am, who have written books and have PhDs and stuff, to help back some of this stuff up. Because I know it doesn't always go down easily. This is da- a gentleman named Tai Tashiro, who writes in his book. I should have written the title of his book. Um, uh, I've, I've written about it on my blog. Um, He says, lust declines at 8% per year of marriage. (laughs) Um, And I I don't know how firmly one can calculate that, but I'd say that makes sense. Um, The same way you wouldn't get excited if you had the same meal every night for 10 years. It would be very hard to have that excited, lustful feeling towards someone that you are so familiar with that you wake up next to and fall asleep next to and and spend all your time with day in and day out. so if lust declines at 8% per year of marriage, across the board, let's just say as a, gener- as a generality, we have to be smart enough to not make lust the cornerstone of our relationship, even though it's a wonderful feeling. It can't be the cornerstone of a relationship. What is a cornerstone of a relationship? Well, it says Tashiro, there are three qualities you should look for in a partner. I've probably said this on a podcast before. Agreeableness, lack of neuroticism, and lack of seeking novelty. In short form, agreeableness is someone who says yes, someone who's who's flexible, doesn't assert their will and uh, make it all about them, someone who's willing to compromise, agreeableness, important quality. Lack of neuroticism, someone who's really insecure, whether it's a man or a woman, however that manifests is really tiring to date, someone who's insecure. And lack of seeking novelty means that the person's fundamentally content Right? It doesn't mean that they're boring, but it means that they're not always going to be looking for someone better than you. So you want a partner who, who's not always looking for someone better than you. Um, perhaps the most citable study on chemistry comes from Helen Fisher. Helen Fisher created chemistry.com for, for match.com. Um, she's a researcher at Rutgers. She's written uh, uh, four books. I've read a couple of them. Um, and if you go, and I cite this all the time, go to Wikipedia, scroll down to the part where it says biological basis for love, you will read what Helen Fisher is sort of a synopsis of what she's studied and how she outlines the three stages of love. The first stage is called lust. Right? Uh, that is sort of almost blind, primal, irrational attraction. Right? Oh my God, look at that hot guy. I'd want to do him. Right, I'm talking to a female audience. It's not me. So Lust, we all know what lust is, right? And that generally lasts for a short period of time, that primal lust. It could it be drink-infused and lasts for an hour, right? But lust is not indicative of anything other than lust. Oh, my God, I want to hit that. The second phase is called attraction, and, it's, and that's lust that's individualized to a certain person. That's usually when you find a, a boyfriend that you're really attracted to and you lust for him. And you may even say that you are in love with him. And what's happening in your brain is that uh, chemicals are coursing through them. Dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, pheromones, flooding your brain. And uh, what that leaves you with is that feeling of chemistry, the high highs, the low lows, that heady feeling of obsessiveness. He called me, oh my God, I'm floating on air. He hasn't texted me in three hours. I'm gonna kill myself. That's what we call the second phase of love. It's attraction the attraction phase can last anywhere from one and a half to three years. Now, um, other scientists have looked at that and said, um, trying to make sense of the past, that's, you know, back in the day, that was just enough time for a man to fall in love with a woman, right, be so attractive to her that he stays with her for that one and a half to three years to impregnate her and raise the baby for the first year. Right, that's a biological evolutionary theory, that I can't necessarily back up because it's just a theory, but it makes a certain amount of sense. Chemistry itself is irrational. Attraction itself is somewhat irrational. You can be attracted to someone who's bad for you. We all know this. You can be attracted to someone who's bad for you, someone who's actually a bad person. Attraction is not based on whether someone's good. Attraction is just attraction. So attraction is this bond. Chemistry is this bond that floods your brain that allows you to sweep the bad stuff under the rug and stay with someone. For one and a half to three years. And then what happens? It wears off. Inevitably, it wears off. That haze. And then what are you left with? Well, that's the third phase. How do we account for long-lasting love? Something that goes for 40 years. It's not based on that lustful stuff at the beginning. Right? There's no set of grandparents that, that wake up every morning, oh my God, I can't wait to hear what Grandpa has to say. He's so, he's so smoking hot. It just doesn't work like that. The last phase is called attachment. That's based on the boring stuff, trust, laughter, family, friendship, values, the stuff that one should really be looking for from the very beginning that we don't consider in an online dating profile, that we don't consider on a first date, but that really is the great determining factor as to whether you have what it takes to last for 40 years. So it's no one saying that chemistry itself is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing, right? a piece of the puzzle. Chemistry often gets people into relationships. It gets people married, it gets people pregnant, but it doesn't secure your long-term relationship if you can't get along, if you don't have good values, if you're not trustworthy, if you're not good communicators. No amount of chemistry is going to save that. It may give you the illusion of saving it. You might stay in a relationship for great sex because you're lonely or something like that. But in and of itself, chemistry is just a factor that brings you to someone, it doesn't help people stay together. And it's really hard because people think that their relationship that starts off on that 10 plus plus should stay that way, when it, when scientifically, it pretty much never does. Barry Schwartz, the author of Par- The Paradox of Choice, um, I told Lori Gottlieb when she was writing her book, um, Marry Him, The Case for Settling for Mr. Goodenough, I told Lori to talk to Barry Schwartz and she did. Cause The Paradox of Choice helped get me married. That's how much I believe in that as a book. And um, he said, think of it like this. You may go out there and look for a nine in chemistry. But the way life works is anything that you get really excited about, you revert back to the meat. That new car in your driveway that you get excited about smelling in the new car, smell and and drink. Six months later, it's just your car don't get excited about your car after six months or one year or five years. You just don't. It's the same thing in relationships. So he said, whoever you choose that you're really, really excited about, no matter where you start, you're probably going to end up at a six. <laughs> so he, he said, choose the six that is going to make you happy for the rest of your life because you can throw out someone when the chemistry wears off and start all over. But guess what? The next person you choose is going to be a nine or a 10 in excitement. Once you get to know them intimately and all the The haze wears off in two, three years, you're going to be right back where you started. You're you're going to be at a six or maybe worse because you might discover you're not compatible with that person. You don't even like that person that much. You're just still hot for them in some inexplicable chemistry-driven way. So your personal chemistry, doing nice things for each other, putting each other first, being selfless, and still keeping that sexual spark alive regularly, that's the thing that's going to sustain your relationship. That's the secret of happy couples. You do need to have a good sex life. You can't be with someone you're not attracted to. But I really want to dis- disabuse that notion that chemistry comes first. I did a podcast recently called you know, Why, you Shouldn't Wait, Why You Should Wait to Get Over Two Years to Get Married. A big reason is if you're getting married in the throes of peak chemistry, right, you haven't had your downslide yet. The haze hasn't worn off. You don't, you're not really seeing that person clearly. Yet you haven't been through enough, so it's really easy to try to lock in a relationship when you're at peak chemistry. The wiser thing to do is wait for the excitement actually to go away, and see now what do we have that's going to carry us for the next forty years. It takes great presence of mind and patience to be willing to do that instead of doing what so many people do, which is to, in the in the heat of the moment, in the excitement. right? Uh, we were talking about it during the break. Okay? People who tattoo each other's faces and names onto each other. That's how much they love each other. Does that ever have a happy ending? Is there anybody who lasts for 40 years with a tattoo of their partner uh, on their arm? I I guess not. It feels like short-term irrational decision-making based on chemistry. So I wanna be super crystal clear. I'm not anti-chemistry, I'm pro-chemistry. I'm also pro-healthy long-term relationships. And if you let chemistry guide all your relationship decision-making right? You're probably going to drive yourself into a relationship ditch. It's a wonderful tool to help you get into a relationship, but you do not know what you have as a partner until that's, the relationship is, is mature and that blinding chemistry of a couple of years has largely worn off. And that's really when your new life begins. What do we have now? The conscious decision to keep on giving back to a relationship based on, on your commitment, right? The decision to Consciously be loving as opposed to oh my god. I can't just up You know I can't wait wait to wake up and hear what comes out of my wife's mouth this morning That's rarely the case. I still do loving things for her all the time not based on a feeling but based on a conscious decision to love someone and um, I would really love to hear your comments um, in you know on the blog in YouTube on the section below how chemistry has worked for you anybody who's, who's had a relationship without chemistry now demands more of it What I don't want you to do is overcorrect and be blinded by it. You need to have it, but uh, to me, the winning paradigm is seven chemistry, 10 compatibility, instead of 10 chemistry, and three compatibility, which is what so many people end up in in their relationships. So thank you for joining me. Um, My name is Evan Mark Katz. This is the Love You Podcast. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking with Catherine Woodward Thomas, author of Calling on the One, Unconscious Uncoupling, and she's going to help you get over the pain in your past and bring new love into your life. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you find it thought-provoking, share it with your friends. Hit the subscribe button below. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter, and please go to www.Evanmarkcats.com Give me your name and email address, and I will send you free dating and relationship advice until you don't need any free dating and relationship advice. I thank you so much for your time, and I will see you again next week.